Today, Pastor Javen concludes the series in Jesus' name. Today, we'll ask the questions, Are there really prayers that go unanswered? Is there anything that can stand in the way of my prayers and God? Take a moment now and prepare your heart for today's service. Before we jump into the Word today, I do want to, to say uh, last, uh, last weekend was MLK weekend. Um, we celebrated uh, the memory of the man Martin Luther King Jr. He did so much uh, for the fight for civil rights, which is still continuing and going on today. Also, uh, some say last weekend, some say this weekend is a weekend called Sanctity of Life. Um, uh, we believe this is not a political issue. This is a biblical issue. Um, now at the same time, we do not cast stones or judge any past decisions that anyone may have, have as a part of their life. Okay. We have to remember John three seventeen as well as we do with John three sixteen that Jesus came into the world, not to condemn the world, right? But to rescue and to heal. And scripture also tells us that he came to bring life. And bring life more abundantly. Our God is a God of life. He is all about life. I believe, I love the, the, the words of the psalmist, Psalm 139. And, and I like the way the message translation reads it. I'm going to read it to you here. Oh yes, you shaped me first inside then out. You formed me in my mother's womb. I thank you, high God. You are breathtaking. Body and soul I'm marvelously made. I worship in adoration. What a creation. You know me inside and out. You know every bone in my body. You know exactly how I was made, bit by bit, how I was sculpted from nothing into something. Like an open book. Listen to these last few words. You watched me grow from when conception to birth. All the stages of my life, every stage of my life has been spread out before you. The days of my life all prepared before I even lived one day. I love that. See, we believe in the value of life from the womb to the tomb. And we believe that the end of life should not be determined based on what's convenient for one person or a group of people. But we encourage you to pray for people who may have these decisions weighing on them. Of life that they have to decide about. We encourage you to pray for our nation to be a nation that values life. And... And if you are carrying a weight of past decisions or carrying a weight of wanting to end your life, please reach out and talk, come talk to us. We want to pray with you. We want to do what we can to help you. But we do have a link that's online now through that central hub with some resources online that point you to some places. One is a place called Royal Home Ministries. It's in, it's in North Carolina. It's associated with the denomination we're a part of. But their whole mission is to save babies from abortion and direct, redirect the lives of a mother. Uh, they have everything in-house to, to offer classes, to offer life skills, to bring education, to bring career planning, to, to have counseling resources available. If you go to their website, you'll see wish lists that they have. You can use those wonderful places online that you can order things and have it shipped directly to them. They would love that. Another organization, organization locally called Lighthouse for Life. We have supported them through the years. Their goal is to educate the community, empower, and empower survivors to eradicate human trafficking. You realize that there are people whose lives are being stolen from them because someone else doesn't value their life. 
They're wanting to use them for their own purposes and their own gain. And Lighthouse for Life is doing an incredible job to stop this. Our Easter offering this year is going to go to, to Lighthouse for Life, but you can go to their website and see a, a list of needs as well. But you'll also see a link to counselors, people that we have uh, uh, that we have connection to, that we believe that they are a good biblical counselor, that uh, uh, godly counselor that you can reach out to, that will help you, that give you guidance, especially if you are carrying weight from past and and anything like that. But we just encourage you. But we never underestimate the power of prayer. Amen. That's why we've been talking about prayer over these last several uh, weeks. And we're in the final week of this series in Jesus name. We said through this whole thing that Luke 11, one is the verse that we're clinging to where the disciples who could have asked Jesus to teach them anything said, Jesus, teach us to pray. And we said, we want that same heart and that same desire to be a part of our life that we say every day, God, we want to be growing and maturing and growing up into people who learn to pray and connect with you in our life at a deeper and greater level. The first week we said that we want prayer to be something that's fundamental and formational in our life, not just supplemental and transactional, right? So knowing that we want to be a people who pray desperately with a desperate need for God, who keep going to him with bold persistence and, and a people who are attentive to, to him answering and responding and trust when he does. Uh, the second week we looked at the Lord's prayer. We said the Lord's prayer is not just a liturgy to recite. Although you can recite the Lord's prayer, there's nothing wrong with reciting the Lord's prayer, but even deeper than that, it's kind of, it's a template to make sure that our heart and the posture of our heart is in right relationship with God, the father and with others. And last week, if you joined us online, we talked about, uh, how if God is a sovereign God, why do we pray? Why is there a need to pray if God is sovereign? Well, God in his sovereignty allows us to play a part in his plan unfolding through our prayers. We never know that God may be, may be sovereignly placing us in certain position, positions for the precise reason to, to pray his promises and release his mercy in someone's life. Uh, a story that in, it exemplifies this so beautifully. Uh, there was a family that sent us a message and told us about this happening. It was on communion. Christmas Eve, we opened the church for communion. And uh, I don't know if you got to participate in that with us. My family came up here. It was a beautiful time for us, for our family to just sit down together and have communion together. But this family sent us a message, told us that they had invited a friend of theirs to join them at communion that night here in the auditorium. And, um, they didn't re- they knew that their friend had been going through some stuff, but they didn't realize how much their friend had been going through. So they, they sat down, they came and they had communion together here in the auditorium. They prayed with one another. They went home and this individual began having a conversation with this family. This individual told them, said, you know, you knew a little bit about, but they began to open up everything that had been going on in their life. And they told them, you don't know this. I have been suicidal. I've been thinking about ending my life. Because I thought no one cared about me. And then you invited me to do this. And then through the conversation, through that time of prayer, they walked away from that that night and they said, I'm so glad I did this. I feel so much better and I feel loved. We never know where God is placing us and how God can use us in any given moment. We can't take for granted any opportunity we may have. So today we're going to conclude this series in Jesus name. And we're going to look at this topic, this idea of unanswered prayers, what we call unanswered prayers. There's the great philosopher, Garth Brooks. 
who had a song that just was, you know, we would say back in those days went viral, right? I mean, it was, it was popular. Sometimes I'm not going to sing it for you. I thank God for what? Unanswered prayers. We know it. Remember when you're talking to the man upstairs, just because he doesn't answer doesn't mean he don't care. Some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers, right? You got to... And of course, he's praying this about, uh, he had a relationship in high school. So that's what the song says. And, 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 and he wanted to marry that woman and God didn't answer that prayer. He didn't marry that woman. And he goes to a high school game, his high school, they go back and they both end up at a game years later. And then he says this line in the song. I don't know if you've ever had this thought about this line in this song. She wasn't quite the angel I remembered in my dreams. What? What are you saying? I mean, that sounds heartless and cold. Like, what are you, what are you, what's he saying about her? But anyway, so he's thanking God that for that unanswered prayer of him being married. But the, I had my former youth pastor told me that that song was theologically incorrect. You may know him as Pastor Casey Mills. He said, he said that it should be, we thank God for negatively answered prayers, Right. Uh, but that just doesn't flow in the song the same way unanswered prayers does. But see, I do understand the difficulty of, uh, of dealing with this and can thinking prayers are unanswered. Because you, you may be someone that has been praying persistently over and over and over again over a situation and approaching God and giving God something, believing that God's going to move. And you've seen no movement and you wonder why, where is God in this situation? And a lot of things that we have been trained in our life is we have been trained that if we do certain things, we expect a response, right? It's like when you get in your automobile and you put the key in, you turn the key, you expect the car to start. You expect there to be a response for the engine to ignite. If you, you know, it, it, there's so many things you do in your life. You expect there to be a response. Some of us, we, we wake up in the morning as we put our feet down on the floor and we go to step up. We expect our back to respond the right way, right? And it doesn't. So, so we're thinking in our mind when these things don't respond the way they're supposed to respond, something's not right, right? It's this culture we've been trained in. There was a Ukrainian American comedian. He, he, he had this bit where he said that, when he came to this nation, he was walking to a store and he saw this thing called powdered milk and he picked it up and he saw in the box, you just add water and you've got milk, add water to the powder. You got milk. And he's like, wow, this is amazing. He goes down the aisle. He sees this powdered orange juice and it says, you just add water to the powder and you get orange juice. He's wow, this is amazing. He goes down another aisle and he picks up this carton. He looks at this carton and the carton says baby powder. And he says, what a country, right? I mean, this is amazing that you can do these types of things in this country. But this, this is the way we've been conditioned to think, right? If we do this, we get this response and we take that mentality. We take that way of thinking and we put it with prayer. And we say, well, if I, if I do this and I pray, God's supposed to respond. And if not, then just like everything else that doesn't respond the way it should, something's broke. Something's not working correctly. And, and I, I agree that 
I see where this thinking comes in because like we've said through the scriptures, it shows us Jesus said, ask and you will receive, seek and you will find, knock and the door will be open to you. We see where Jesus tells us these things, that he hears our prayers and that he listens to our prayers. And in fact, John chapter 14, verses 13 and 14, it it says this, we see where he says, you can ask for anything in my name, in Jesus name, and I'll do it. So the son can bring glory to the father. And then he repeats it in verse 14. He says, he says, yes, ask me for anything in my name and I'll do it. And then again, just a couple of chapters after this in John chapter 16, we see him talking to his disciples. He's letting them know I'm going to be leaving, but, but you're still, your prayers are still going to be answered. Now just pray to the father. And when you pray to the father, use my name. Look at what he says. John 16 verses 23 and 24. At that time, you won't need to ask me for anything. I'll tell you the truth. You'll ask the father directly and he will grant you your request because you what? Use my name. You approach and you say, in Jesus name, I pray. Then in verse 24, he tells them this. He says, you haven't done this before. Ask using my name and you'll receive and you'll have abundant joy. So praying in Jesus name, I'm doing that. I'm praying in Jesus name, but I don't feel like God is answering my prayer. Something is wrong. And see, we've been, we, we, we have this mentality and this thinking where we kind of categorize God's answers to prayers that they're either yes or they're no, or they're maybe, but the time's not right for it to happen or maybe, but Everything's not right with you. You need to grow. You need to change. And, and those are all good reasons and good ways to, to think about God because that's true. But like Nadia was saying, I, linked, I turned around, I looked at Pastor Don, I said, I'm going to reference that passage of scripture. <laughs> no, you're fine. That's not the first time you've preached some of my message before then. <laughs> Daniel, like she said, an angel comes to Daniel and says, look, I heard you the first time you prayed. But on my way here, I got into a fight with another principality and I couldn't get to you until I kicked his rear end. Then I got here, right? So see, sometimes our yes might be on the way, but the enemy's trying to keep our yes from getting here. Paul talks about the fact that we have, we are, we wrestle not against principal against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers of the air. Ephesians chapter six, he talks about how, how there is spiritual warfare that goes on all around us. We don't understand everything that's happening around us. Like she said, delay is not denial. So until you have a clear and present, no, and, and, and no, doesn't mean that God hasn't answered your prayer. It just means God didn't give you the answer you hoped for, but no is an answer, right? So until we get a clear no, we keep praying. We keep praying and we keep trusting. But I do want to look at just a few other scriptures this morning that, that, that the Bible points out there are things that can kind of be walls in between our prayers and God. Because I want us to understand and see that there are things there. Psalm 66, verse 18, the psalmist said, if I had not confessed the sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. So there is something about sin in our life. If we allow it to stay and we are willfully in this place, God, it's, it, it gets in the way of our prayers with God, the psalmist says. 
Let's let the Bible keep teaching us. Proverbs 15, 29. Solomon said, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayers of the righteous. The apostle James echoed this in James chapter 5, verse 16. He says, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other so that you may be healed. And then he says, the earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces results. So what does this mean? Does this mean I need to try really, 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 really hard so that God will hear my prayers? Well, that's not what the Bible teaches us, but it also teaches us that we can't just live any way we want to either. Does it mean that a person who is not in relationship with God, that God doesn't hear their prayers and answer them? Well, Jesus, when he was teaching his listeners in the Sermon on the Mount, he was teaching them about loving your enemies. And he quoted the prophet and he said, look, God makes the sun to shine on the wicked and the rain to fall on the righteous or on the wicked, the rain to fall on the wicked, just as it does on the righteous. So yes, God can answer the prayers of those who are not in relationship with him. But here's the thing. The only promise we have in the word of God and from Jesus Christ that God will listen and hear our prayers and answer is when we are in him. It's the only time we're promised that it would take place is when we're in him. And here's the beauty about being in Christ. See the righteous, God is not far from the righteous. When we are in Christ, his righteousness is put on us. As Paul said, So no, we don't go on sinning like Paul says. We live every day we can walking by the spirit, not by our flesh, but we don't do it trying to earn something from him. We've already received his grace. But as we live our life in his righteousness, we are promised in his word, he hears our prayers. But the way we live matters when it comes to our prayers. Unconfessed sin, willful sin in our life can be a wall between our prayers and God. What else can be that? Proverbs 16, two says people may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their what? Motives. Again, the apostle James, he speaks to this. James chapter four, verse three. When you ask, you don't get it because your what? Motives are all wrong. You want it all for your own pleasure. See, there may be something again in us that needs to change. Our motives, just like our lives, the way we live matters to God. Our motives matter to God because our motives reveal our heart. They reveal the intention of our heart. Then we've got this, Mark chapter 11, verses 24 and 25. I tell you, you can pray for anything. And if you believe, you'll receive it. It will be yours. But when you are praying, first, forgive. Forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against so that your father in heaven will forgive your sins too. See, we need to probably underline and highlight that. But when you are praying first, forgive. We see where Matthew recorded Jesus teaching about this. Matthew 5, 23 to 24. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar, go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. I briefly referenced this a couple of weeks ago, but I want us to understand the weight of what Jesus is teaching here. 
Because see, people, when they did this, when, when this was going on, people would, this was not just a simple thing that they did where they just waited for a short line and got there and, and took care of it real quick. This was a process. Many would travel long distances to come and to be at the priest and to see the priest and have the priest make this sacrifice on their behalf. They had gone through many steps to, to make this day come to pass. They had found a place to stay. They had done what they needed to do to get the proper sacrifice. And then they had waited in this really long line before they can get to the priest. And Jesus is telling them, even if you've done all that, and even if you are the person, next person in line, and the priest is about to look to you and say, it's your turn. If you remember in your mind, there's someone that has a grudge or you have a grudge again, and there's unforgiveness in the way. You need to put that sacrifice down, go find that person and deal with the unforgiveness. Wow. We need to understand the weight of that because unforgiveness matters to God. If there's unforgiveness in our heart and our life, if we've got this bitterness towards someone else, this grudge towards someone else, or we know we've caused it with someone else and we could care less that we've caused it, We need to deal with that before we expect God to respond to us. The way we live matters. Our motives matter. Unforgiveness matters. Guys, 1 Peter 3, 7, married guys. In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she's your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. We cannot be jerks (laughs) and expect God to respond to us. The way we treat our spouse matters. The way we treat our spouse can be a hindrance between our prayers and God and him responding to us. And what about someone who's told you, well, you just don't have enough faith. I don't think you're praying with enough faith. I want, if you've ever used that, I'm not condemning. I'm not, maybe there are times where we do challenge someone on their faith, but more times than not, that phrase comes across more condemning than it does loving. We need to be careful how we use that phrase and how we say that phrase and challenging someone's faith and saying, you're not getting your answer because you don't have enough faith. Now, faith does play a part. Again, let's go back to James. (laughs) James 1, 6 and 7. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. Right? Do not waver. For a person with divided loyalties is unsettled as a wave of the sea. It's blown and tossed by the sin. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Jesus has teachings where he talks about having this, a faith the size of a mustard seed, which is just tiny, tiny, tiny little faith that if you just say to this mountain, it will be moved. He speaks to us about having the faith of a child. What kind of faith does a child have? A child believes anything is possible. They can't understand you when you say no. Right? But I think about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in this situation. Their faith was remarkable. 
It was a time when the king Nebuchadnezzar at that time was telling them that if you don't bow and pray to me, you'll be thrown into this furnace. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, no, we're not going to do that. We're going to continue to pray only to our God. We're not going to kneel to you. And then they make this powerful statement and they say, we believe that God can deliver us from that furnace if you throw us in there. And then there's this, but even if he doesn't, he's still God. Now, is that statement a statement of doubt? On one hand, they say, we believe God can do it, but even if he doesn't, are they like throwing in this little phrase to make way for a little bit of doubt or if God doesn't work? No, they're expressing their faith in a God who understands the big picture and with everything is in his hands. Even if he chooses not to respond the way we want him to in this situation, he's still God. Because here's the thing we have to know about faith. Faith is believing that God can, but it's also trusting in God and in his response. Trust is a part of faith. So we need to remember John's words in 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. So again, God's sovereignty plays into our life. Now, I want, I want to think about that. I want us to just think about that real quick. We're about to close, but think about this. Because I want you to know, and we're going to see, it's not because God is cruel and God is mean and doesn't love you. God does everything for his glory. And how he answers our prayers, we are playing a part in what takes place for his glory. Now, real quick, I want to address a a prayer I hear or something I hear stated. I've heard it several times through the years that I prayed for God to take this desire away from me. This sin that's in my life, I pray God remove this sin, remove this desire for this sin because God's will is that I don't sin. God's will is that I don't live in a certain way. But we need to understand James again spoke to this in James chapter one. He says that he says that God doesn't tempt us. We can't say that God is tempting us. When sin conceives, when our desires are tempted. And then those desires are deceived. And then when that happens and we step into it, it conceives sin and gives birth to sin in our life, which leads to death. So what James is saying is the desire you feel, don't be deceived in that desire and conceive sin. God may not necessarily take away the desire that we have in our life, but he will strengthen you to stand against the sin that's on the other side of the desire. You see, there's a part of us, our free will that plays into place that's in place with God as well. God's not a God that manipulates and controls. 
There's a free will that's in us that we have to choose. And we see in scripture that there is a part of us where there are things in our life that scripture tells us we have to turn from and we have to walk away from. In other words, we have to take a step. We can pray all we want. God, it's your will that I don't sin. Take this desire away from me. And God's saying, turn and walk away from it. In fact, there's some areas in scripture that say flee. And most all of that has to do with sexual immorality. In other words, run away from the desire. Run away from the desire that's in you that's wanting to go into sin. Run away. See, God may want to use you to demonstrate that you can hold on to God's word even when everything in you is pulling you the whole opposite way. We are free to ask for deliverance. Paul did. We see that Paul did it in his word. And we don't know what Paul was praying. God delivered this from me. He was, he prayed, God, take this thorn from my side. We don't know what that was. Some think it might've been, he, he was longing for healing for something. Paul was a single guy. He tells us that. So we don't know if it could have been something else that had to do with relationships in his life. We don't know exactly what that thorn was, but he prayed over and over again, God deliver me from this. And God answered him and said, my grace is sufficient for you. And he says, my strength is made perfect in your weakness, which is interesting to me. It's not my strength is made perfect in your healing. My strength is made perfect in your deliverance. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. That's tough for us to get. That's tough for us to understand. But Jesus is saying, God is saying that even in those things, I'm with you and I'm working a bigger story in the situation. Another situation is very difficult that I just, I want to read it to you and show you. It's Luke chapter seven. We're John the Baptist, he prepared the way for Jesus, right? John begins to hear all these things that Jesus is doing, but John the Baptist is locked up in a prison about to face death. And it says, John called two of his disciples and sent them to the Lord to ask him, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? So now John's in a place because Jesus isn't doing for him what he thinks Jesus should be doing for him. He's beginning to wonder, is Jesus really Jesus, the Messiah? So John's two disciples found Jesus and said to him, John the Baptist sent us to ask, are you the Messiah we've been expecting? Or should we keep looking for someone else? At the very time, Jesus cured many people of their diseases, illnesses, and evil spirits. And he restored sight to so many who were blind. And then he told John's disciples, go back to John and tell him what you've seen and heard. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life. And the, God, the good news is being preached to the poor. And tell him, God blesses those who do not turn away because of me. In other words, what is Jesus saying there? See, a lot of these guys, they had an expectation of what the Messiah was going to do for them and for the nation of Israel. And the Messiah, Jesus, wasn't meeting their expectations and what they had in their mind. And Jesus is saying to John, just because I'm not meeting your expectations doesn't mean I'm not God. Don't turn away. And the, the language he's using here is very visual because the language he's using is, 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 is about a, a 
what we would call clickbait. It's, 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 uh, or a trap that's set. And when something goes into it, it clicks it and the trap comes down. So what he's saying is don't walk into this place where just because your expectations aren't being met, you're met. You're now into, in this trap of believing that I'm not God. Look around you and see the bigger picture that's being spoken for God's glory. We have to be careful not to to look through things through American glasses. Where if I just add this, I get this. We forget that in our relationship with God, there is a theology of suffering that we see throughout Scripture. That to share in God's glory, we have to also share in his suffering. So we can pray for something to be removed. We can pray to be delivered for something. We can pray to be healed over something. We can pray for God to move in situations in our life. But if he doesn't answer the way we expect and want him to, it doesn't mean he's not God. We still trust. See, we may not, we may not be seeing the answer We're not seeing, but it's not because we don't have enough faith. It's because in a way that we may never understand, God is doing something with far greater eternal purpose than our temporary happiness. And in fact, it takes a lot more faith, doesn't it? To trust God when he says no, than when everything is going great. And don't forget That even Jesus himself knelt down and prayed before he went to the cross. Luke 22, 42. He said, Father, if you're willing, please take this cup from me. What cup? This cup of suffering that I'm about to have to go through. This pain, this humiliation, the beating the words, the cross, the death. God, Father, if you're willing, take this from me. Yet, Father, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus himself prayed to be delivered from something, for the Father to deliver him. And he didn't get the response that his self wanted. But he understood the bigger picture. And as the author of Hebrews said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What joy? You. Me. Everyone in creation who would have the opportunity to believe that Jesus Christ was the Messiah and the Son of God and have relationship with him and have new life in him and his righteousness can be placed on them and they can have everlasting life with the father. See the cross is our constant reminder that we have not been abandoned. Jesus gave his life so that we would always know we are not abandoned. He is with us. Even if we don't see him working, he's working. Even if we don't feel him working, He's working. We can't understand everything God does and the way he does it, but we can know this. 100% of the prayers that aren't prayed 
go unanswered. If you don't pray over it, it's not going to get answered. So what do we do? We pray. We pray. Because God wants us to pray, but we also trust. And like Jesus taught John, we cannot become angry when things don't meet our expectations. Because if we do, we'll let unresolved anger towards God undermine our faith in Him. Trust. Trust Him. And understand and know that all of our prayers will be answered in eternity. Where Jesus told us that there would be no more pain. There'd be no more sin that pulls us away from the Father. There'd be no more tears. There'd be joy. There'd be life with Him forever. Stand with me this morning. We're going to conclude today with a time of communion. If you didn't get one of these when you came in, just slip up your hand. The ushers are looking out for you. They'll walk down. They'll bring you one and let you make sure you have one. And I'd say this all the time. Be careful. The bread is on the bottom, so make sure you open that before you open the top juice. I want to share this scripture from 1 Corinthians before we take communion together. Because we talked a couple weeks ago, we talked about the Lord's Prayer. And I hope you see that all throughout this message, when we're looking at the unanswered prayers and, and things that can come between our prayers and God, you see the Lord's Prayer all throughout those things. But we mentioned in there talking about how Jesus said that, give us our each day our daily bread. And we talked about how Jesus taught that he was the bread of life. Paul, when he was talking to the Corinthians, he began, he's talking about what you eat, what you drink. And he's telling them that there's one thing you definitely don't partake in. And it's food sacrificed to idols. Because when you take part in that food that's sacrificed to idols, you're making yourself one with that thing. And he tells them, says, my dear friends, flee from worship of idols. You're reasonable people. Decide for yourselves if what I'm saying is true. When we bless the cup at the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. In other words, what Paul is saying and what we are understanding and realizing about prayer is we are to be connected with the Father. And it's about being in relationship with our Heavenly Father, being one with Him, being one as a body together and one in Him. And when we do moments like this, this is symbolizing the fact that we are one with Christ. We are, we are a part of his blood that was shed to bring forgiveness for our lives, to give us new life with him. We are a part of his body that was sacrificed, that brings healing to our life and to our souls. So we need to be careful to make sure that we are not putting ourselves in relationship, in unity with anything else that is not him. We may not eat food that was sacrificed to a structured idol. 
But there's so many things in our life that would try to pull us away from God and become and and, and get on our pedestal to be the thing that we put first and foremost in our life. And then we become one with more than we are God. When we pray, when we keep that relationship with God, where prayer, like we said in week one, is fundamental and formational in our life. And like Jesus taught us to do, we seek the Father in the relationship with the Father. We stay one with Him. And Paul reminds us that when we do this, we're reminding ourselves that we are one with the Father. Don't let anything else come in between you and your relationship with Him. Continue seeking Him. Continue praying. Don't even let the fact that you think God's not listening to your prayers and answering them the way you want Him to answer come between you and your relationship with God. Stay one with Him. Stay one with the Father. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this day and this moment. We thank You that together in times like this, we can partake in communion to remember that what Jesus did, God, he opened a door for us to be in unity and in one in oneness with you. God, we thank you that Jesus sacrificed his life and gave his body. That he allowed his blood to be shed as the ultimate and final sacrifice for the forgiveness of all man's sins. We're so thankful for it today. And so now, God, as we partake in this moment and we take this bread we take this bread remembering the body of Christ that was sacrificed for us that even though he didn't want to go through this understandably so who would for the joy set before him he endured so that we could stand here in moments like this Professing our unity with the Father because Jesus gave his life. So God, we thank you today for the body of Jesus and we say we are one with the body of Christ. And we live this life in honor of him and what he did for us. God, we take this bread today remembering the sacrifice Jesus made. Father, as we've said already, we thank you for the blood that was shed, for the forgiveness of all man's sins. We thank you today. And in this moment, as we take this cup, we say we are one with Christ because of the blood that was shed on that cross. So we take this cup today, remembering what Jesus did in Jesus' name. Father, we honor you today. We thank you for this time together. And we pray that in everything that we do, that we seek to have relationship with you, to stay one with you, our Father. To seek you boldly, trusting, knowing that you hear our prayers. That prayer becomes fundamental for our life and formational that you do guide us and direct us and help us not to keep in, to not to allow anything to stand in the way of our relationship with you. And God, help us never 
doubt who you are because you're not meeting our expectations. Help our expectations to line up with who you are and the story you're telling in our life. We give you praise for it, God. In Jesus' name, amen. If you need prayer in any way today, we would love for you to reach out to us. You can go to our website, bwccamden.com, go to our contact page. You'll find the link there to uh, request prayer or send us anything that you uh, would like to communicate with us today. Or you can also simply text the word prayer to 803-676-7566. And we will be back in touch with you to find out how we can be in prayer for you. God bless you. We hope that you have a great week.